Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast series from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Jose Hernandez-Diaz about his poem, Ode to a California Neck Tattoo, which appeared in issue 21 of The Common. Jose Hernandez-Diaz is a 2017 NEA Poetry Fellow. He is the author of the 2020 book, The Fire Eater. His work appears in the American Poetry Review, Boulevard, the Cincinnati Review, the Georgia Review, the Iowa Review, The Nation, Poetry, and the Best American Non-Required Reading 2011. Currently, he's an associate editor at Frontier Poetry and Palette Poetry. He is from Southern California. Jose Hernandez-Diaz, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We always like to start off by setting the scene. Would you tell us where you're calling from and describe for our listeners what it's like there? Well, I'm calling from Norwalk, California. It's a working class Latinx suburb in Southeast Los Angeles County. That sounds great. Um, and you said it's it's a hot one there today? Yeah, it's supposed to be 93 today. So August mm-hmm. is usually the hottest month in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. Would you start us off by reading your poem from issue 21? Sure. Thanks. This is Ode to a California Neck Tattoo. A man in a Chicano Batman shirt got a tattoo of the state of California on his neck. He rode his longboard to the tattoo parlor early in the morning. This is going to be his third tattoo. He also had a tattoo of palm trees on his chest and a skeleton on a surfboard on his calf. He smoked a cigarette as he arrived at the shop. Everything went smoothly. It didn't hurt much. He was a little worried he might be perceived as a gangster, but he knew real gangsters could tell the difference between soldiers and civilians. He rode his longboard home. The sun peeked through the fog. The man in Chicano Batman shirt was born in Southern California. He went to college in Northern California. He never lived anywhere else. He didn't want to. Couldn't imagine living in a place that didn't have Mexican-Americans. He wasn't arrogant about it. He just loved the sunshine and the ocean and the tacos and the murals to La Virgen de Guadalupe. 
Thanks for reading that. I would love to know how you came to write this poem. Like what inspired it? Well, I had been wanting to get a tattoo and I still want to get a tattoo, <laughs> but I don't have any tattoos. Oh, I see. So this, this was sort of inspired by, you know, wanting to get a tattoo, but ultimately not wanting to deal with the finality of it. Mm-hmm. And also wanting to write an ode to California in the form of, you know, the neck tattoo, which I think is is just so, you know, very in your face in terms of your pride for California. Mm-hmm. Have you seen California neck tattoos out in the wild? I have actually. Uh, yeah. I, yeah I over here so. in uh, L.A. County, there's uh, quite a few you see around. I love that you said it was sort of an ode to California because that was sort of how I read it as well. Um, as you might remember, the common publishes work with a strong sense of place. That's sort of our focus as a magazine. Right. Um, and yeah, this did feel like a very place-based poem to me. And it seemed to me that it wasn't just about California, the place, but also this sort of California way of life, like a state of being. Was that your intention or is it, is it more complicated than that? Yeah, no, I think it is, um, you know, with the longboard and, the beach and and um, the sunshine and everything, the murals, the tacos. Uh, I think uh, it was a way to write about place, um, sort of um, just by painting the scene, you know. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I I always love work where we go on sort of a journey with the character, and I feel like we do that. We sort of go to the t- tattoo parlor and then go home. <laughs> I, I love right. how casual this poem feels too. These sort of short, straightforward, declarative sentences. It almost feels like Southern California to me, that that sort of laid back vibe. How do you make choices like that on the sentence level when, when you're writing? Is it sort of natural, like a stream of consciousness, or is it like a, a very concerted effort? It's both. You know, I think if you meet me in person, you'll probably say, this guy's a little, you know, this guy's very casual and very laid back. Mm-hmm. And almost seems not happy, you know, not too excited or something. <laughs> so I think my, my work is also very stripped down in terms of the writing, um, deadpan or direct, I think. Um, also, I think it's a way of an artistic way of, of being not so, um, ornate with it, you know, mm-hmm. just to, to, to the essentials. And, um, also I think on the, in terms of, uh, the opposite, end of being deadpan. I think you can be subtle with it also. So I think there are a few advantages of of that style. Yeah. To me, it feels very accessible, you know, like uh, not as, you know, inaccessible as some kinds of poetry can be where it feels like you have to be, you know, a certain type of person or a certain type of reader to really get what's going on there. Definitely. And I think that's what initially drew me to literature in high school when I was reading, um, we were reading the catcher in the rye and before that, I, I had, you know, honestly, I probably didn't read any books. I, I would just, I would just somehow write essays on books that I didn't read. <laughs> and um, the catcher in the rice spoke to me because it was like everyday mundane language. And right. it was like not so pretentious, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How did you start writing prose poetry specifically? Is there something about it that appeals to you more than verse poetry? Yeah, I think there's more, you know, as I was saying, the casual, the mundane, the mm-hmm. not so bow tie poetry, you know, so <laughs> serious. And also, um, I was reading James Tate in graduate school. I didn't know what prose poetry was at that point. And um, the cover of his his uh, book spoke to me. It looked surreal. And I was into Dolly and like abstract graffiti and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, the cover spoke to me and I read it. And it was like, seri- it was um, stripped down and funny and 
ironic and and um and yet yet he had won so many awards like the pulitzer and mm-hmm. so i i was able to see that that you could be you know casual or, or mundane um humorous and yet still be taken seriously yeah that, that's such a great lesson did you plan to go to school for writing or, or poetry or were you studying something else well, I was an English major at UC oh, Berkeley, okay. and I took some poetry classes, and those were my favorite. And uh, yeah, the, so naturally went to the MFA. That's interesting. So I, I write flash fiction, and, and sometimes I feel like the line between flash and prose poetry is, is sort of a blurry one. Do, how do you think we draw that line, or is it sort of unimportant to draw that line? Yeah, I think uh, I just try to keep it simple in terms of those um, differences. Like prose poetry, obviously, doesn't have line breaks, and mm-hmm. um, poetry verse does, and flash fiction tends to be longer and more plot driven. And so, um, I think certain works, long, you know, longer prose poems can can be confusing in terms of is it flash fiction, but I don't right. think it's very important to draw lines or. Uh, I think that's more academic type of, you know, distinction, you know, distinction. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Some of your poetry explores what I would call more surreal territory, sort of playing with absurdity and folklore. Can you talk about that? What what draws you to surrealism? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of my, um, well, some of my work tends to be about real life and growing up in, in a working class neighborhood and you know, brothers and gangs and, you know, different things and um, more realistic things. So I think surrealism and absurdity, and I mean, absurdism, they kind of appeal to me in the sense of it was like an escape, you know, and you can use your imagination and write about dreams and a bit of horror and fantasy mixed in. So it was sort of like an escape, I think. Mm-hmm. I would love to have you read a poem that you published last year in Poetry Magazine called Pandulce that is in verse. Would you read that for us? Yes. Um, Pandulce. My niece calls me from my brother-in-law's phone while I'm getting ready to wash dishes. I pick up. She says she needs to talk to her grandfather. I tell her that her grandfather just went to sleep and gave specific instructions not to wake him. She says to wake him up, she needs to talk to him. I say okay and hope it's not something bad. She speaks to her grandfather in English. My dad responds to her in broken English, but she can't really understand him. He gives me back the phone, frustrated. I ask her what's wrong. She says her school project is to ask a grandparent to tell them an uplifting story. I tell her I'll ask him in Spanish and then call her back and tell her the story. I tell dad, Natalia quiere saber un cuento del triunfo, algo de triunfar. I tell him about your childhood. He says he doesn't have a story. I tell him like a story when I submitted to a magazine for four years and on the fifth year got in. He nods his head. Okay, he says. Dad proceeds to tell me about his childhood when he was seven or eight years old. He says his father taught him how to make pan dulce from scratch. He says he felt proud about making the bread. And after they baked it, they sold it in the street. I tell him that's a perfect story and that pan dulce is my favorite. He nods again. Before I call my niece back, I finish washing the dishes, then rush to my laptop to write this poem. Thanks so much for reading that. So when I look at that 
poem. It looks to me like it's in verse, but um, it still has a, a very prosy feeling about it. Um, could you humor me? Like, how do you decide what form to put a poem in, especially like for someone like you who could choose to put it in verse or, or in prose? Is it, is it just how it sounds or does it just happen? No, I think uh, going into the poem, if it's uh, something about my life, autobiographical, I tend to write in verse, linear verse. And when I'm working with surrealism or absurdism, I usually use prose poetry. Interesting. So, do you have, do you have a thought about why why that is? Well, I think in prose poetry, there's room more room for imagination and and um, you know telling telling an absurd absurd um, tell, you know, um, with linear verse. I think that's just what I read more um, growing up with linear verse. And um, I would I would usually see it in couplets, and I think I was, I was influenced by that. There's a really nice self awareness in that poem, sort of you, you know a storytelling feel, like your father choosing which story to tell, and then you choosing to write the story down in a poem. And I I really love that. Do you feel like there's a divide between sort of what you do as a poet and sort of where you came from, or does it not feel like like a separation at all? Well, in my linear verse, it's it's pretty much about my life, you know, my um my family life, which is my family's most important thing in my life, and um, so you know a lot of the sacrifices my parents did immigrating over here, and you know being a first generation Mexican American and low income working class, so mm-hmm. a lot of that goes into my linear linear verse, uh, the autobiographical work. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's very hard to, to, um, separate that, but with the prose poetry, I just feel the surreal prose poetry. I just feel like it can be written by anybody and, and it's just more like its own world, its own genre and, um, a bit more imagination goes in the sense of, uh, creating new worlds. That makes sense. Uh, one thing I always ask poets because I'm sort of fascinated by it. What what does it look like to edit a poem? How do you work through what a poem needs? Like, is there a set process, or, or is each one different? Well, yeah, each one is different, but they tend to be like ninety percent doesn't need much editing. Maybe a little bit here and there for for pace or clarity or sound, mm-hmm. uh, rhythm, that type of thing. When I just read it out loud and sort of do it, play it by ear. I think I'm sort of like a guitarist that taught himself how to play or something like that, you know, like, I don't know if I'm formally trained or not, but, um, so the editing, um, tends to be minimal. So you might read a poem out loud and hear something that you feel like could be better, could sound better, could flow better, could read more clearly yes, or something yes, like exactly. that. And also since, as, as we mentioned, the work tends to be stripped down and it's aesthetic, there's mm-hmm. usually not a lot of, a lot of need for, for editing or maybe even to strip it down even more, you know? Mm-hmm. So your first drafts are, are quite a bit like your final drafts. Typically. I mean, you know, oh, okay. a word here and there. That's interesting. I often work like that, but I feel like most writers don't. <laughs> no, but also most writing tends to be of the, you know, ornate and highly decorated, I think. Right. right. But I think Dean Young said one time, you know, um, just because the poem took you seven weeks to write doesn't necessarily mean it's better than what I wrote in five minutes, you know? 
Yeah, I definitely find that to be true. (laughs) Sometimes I find it kind of disconcerting because I think as writers, we all tell ourselves that it's just about putting the work in. It's just about putting the time in and sitting down and doing it. But we all also have those moments where something just came together and you don't know why and you couldn't recreate it if you tried. And yeah, sometimes it makes me feel a little bit lost. Like, I don't know why this works, but it does. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes they just come from, you know, the the depths of the subconscious and, you know, they just come randomly. So it's, that's more, it's more about that, like where it comes from as opposed to necessarily the language or something like that, you know? Yeah. I would think that would be especially true of poetry. Um, especially surrealism, of I think, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I know that you teach and I saw that you're teaching an online course about prose poetry, sort of an introduction and like a history of it. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it's uh, with uh, Litro Magazine in the UK, and it's all online. And um, classes will begin in October. You can register today. Uh, it's four weeks, so there's four sessions on, on Saturdays for one hour. I think it might be an hour and a half this year, this uh, in October. And, um, yeah, it's a history of post-poetry, but it's mostly generative workshop where I'll be giving uh, prompt writing prompts for post-poetry. Right. So do you think it's sort of like a combination of sort of reading some prose poetry and then sort of reacting to it and, and generating from there? Yes, definitely. Oh. And and I, I try to get prompts that are that are very um, interactive and, and get you going. That sounds great. Do you do a lot of teaching usually or is that sort of uh, like less common for you? No, this is new to me. Oh, OK. Um, this is my first year where I started teaching online. So. That's great. It's so much easier to teach now that we're all online. <laughs> yeah, especially for for us introverts. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way too. <laughs> yeah. uh, one last question we always ask everyone. What what else are you working on now? What's, what's next from you? Well, right now i got two full-length manuscripts that I'm submitting. Wow. Uh, the Parachutist and The Magician. And um, I'm working with uh, Frontier Poetry as well editing so send us a submission and we've always got contests going or regular free submissions as well that's great we can definitely link to link to the magazines you work at in the comments so that people can can submit that sounds great um jose hernandez diaz thanks so much for joining us it's been so great to talk with you thanks for having me a pleasure listeners you can read jose's poems and subscribe to the latest issue at the commononline.org <laughs>